Hey, this is Adam Spiegelman. It is 3.36 in the morning. I am just looking for parking. Just came back from the comedy store where I interviewed Tony Clifton right after his late night show that starts at 11.30 every Friday night. It is fun. It is crazy. Burlesque dancers, dirty jokes, racist jokes, songs, craziness. Check it out. Oh, don't park on the upper level. I just paid 32 fucking dollars to park there. What? Mother McFucker. Anyway, this is with Tony Clifton. Uh, right after the show, I went to the dressing room, and um, in the back, the press dancers are back there. They just changed, and I sat with them and Tony, and Tony told stories about Andy Kaufman, um, about him meeting Elvis, about the two of them meeting, about... Uh, Man on the Moon, How Jim Carrey Got the Part, and more importantly, oh, don't get, I'm not being rude by yawning, it's fucking almost four in the morning. You're yawning, now we're all yawning. Well, it's probably like a decent hour when you're listening to this. All right. You are listening to Proudly Resents. Oh, reason. I, I can't even hear you well. Hi, this is Sammy Wazell, uh, proudly presents the Cult Movie Podcast. The Adam Spigotman Show. To all you proudly resent listeners out there, just remember, you can't test on hospitality. I want it. All right, this is Proudly Resents, proudlyresents.com. Two women are kissing, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to concentrate. Uh, we're at the backstage of the Tony Clifton show. Anything can happen. It's two in the morning. Oh, look at that. Look at that. All right. <laughs> hey, pull that titty down. Pull that down. No, Dad. No, we have hasties anymore. No, no, no. You know? Okay. No. Okay. Well, anyway. All right. Well, here with Tony Clifton, ladies from the Tony Clifton's show every Friday night. At, <laughs> the Cliftonettes. Uh, and the Cliftonettes. Hello, Cliftonettes. Hello, Pokey Annie. Penny, Penny Jones and Poke Salad Annie, Penny two of the Jones. hottest girls in my show. Yes. Hot on stage. Tony, you got your own mic right there. That's all for you. Okay, thank you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. So who are you guys again? Explain this to me. So Prowler Resents, we talk about cult films and films we love. And I saw a film that you were in, kind of. Of course, there's uh, Man on the Moon yes, about Man Andy on the Kaufman. Moon. Yes, yes, yes. But you did a concert here at... Um, yes, two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was the night that Andy Kaufman was supposed to come back. Yes, that's true. May 16th. And right, yeah. what happened? Did he come back? He did not come back. Did I get my money? I tried to get my money back. Well, maybe. listen, I didn't think he was going to come back. I think he's dead. You do think he's oh, dead? Oh, yeah. And when people ask me sometimes, because you know girls, sometimes we're on stage and somebody will yell out Andy Kaufman. And you know what I say? Hmm. I say, you want Andy Kaufman? Guess what I say? Go ahead. Get yourself a shovel and a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's dead. Okay, but a lot of the crazy rumors persist because he did talk about faking his death. Now, and of course, the way Man on the Moon ends, we're not sure. We're not sure. I'm at the end singing on stage right here at the comedy store. Uh I'm singing I Will Survive. But they they hired, I Will Survive. They hired me to do that. (laughs) Right? And then they shot, the camera went around and showed uh, Paul Giamatti in the audience, and we weren't sure what the hell was going. So this adds to the mythology, but this is true only because Andy Kaufman. Could you tell him to quiet down out there? Okay. Yeah, say we're being we're recording. Say just hold it down. She's too nice. We're recording. Just hold it down. We're recording. We're recording. Okay. Shut up, please. So anyway, so anyway, uh, 
there was a lot of controversy because, you know, he wrote, he, d- he did a script at Universal called the Tony Clifton story about uh-huh. me. And that was going to star you. Yes, it was going to star me. And what happened, what happened is that, uh, and this was four years before his death. Mm-hmm. And he showed up to the writing session. We had a bungalow back at Universal in the back there. And one day he showed up. And he said, you got to put this in this page in the script. I said, what the fuck? And I read this. And it said, here's why he might be alive. And it said, Tony Clifton, because he was playing me in the, in the movie. He says, Tony Clifton dies of cancer at Cedar sinai Hospital. This is on page 121 of the Tony Clifton story that you could get online. The script, the, the script for the Tony script. Clifton's this is online. yeah, the Tony Clifton story. This was four years because before. Here's the punch: before Andy Coppin himself would die of cancer at Cedar Sinai Hospital. Now, what are the odds of that? How would he know this? And of course, we get into this in Man on the Moon. Did he fake his death or not? I personally believe he's dead now. If you talk to Lynn Margulies, you know who Lynn is. Lynn was his girlfriend who, in the movie Courtney Love portrays, she'll tell you that Andy Kaufman said, and when she said, because Andy came up with this idea of faking his death, and I think it's just weird timing. So a year before he dies, he's running all around town to a few people saying that he came up with the greatest prank of all time. He's going to fake his death. He came up to me and said, what do you think? I said, let me tell you this. I cannot be involved. Was it? Because I said, first of all, it's illegal to fake your death. And he was, you know, Andy was so naive. He's like a child man. He says, what the hell do you mean by that? I said, Andy, people fake their death every day for insurance reasons. It's called fraud. They don't want to pay child support or what fucking ever. It's illegal. You can go to jail, and if somebody helps you, it's a crime. So I didn't know that because he was very naive. I said, but fuck all that. Besides that, do you think I, because I knew his parents, do you think I'm going to lie to your mother and father? They're going to be heart fucking broken? And his mom died about a year, had a stroke, major stroke, a year after his supposed death. killed her. I said, I'm not going to do it now. But Andy was so fucking weird. If anybody could pull this off, he can. Now, if you talk to either Tom Mount or Sean Daniels or Bruce Berman, who were executives at Universal Studios at the time when we were doing the Tony Clifton story, and he died, they have the script. So to this day, they remembered that he came into that fucking office and he put in there that he was going to die at Cedar sign on cancer. To this day, they believe he has faked his death. Now, John Moffat from the TV show Fridays, which was like kind of a ripoff of Saturday Night Live, Fridays, ABC had a version, okay? He went, because I told him, listen, it's a great idea. I'm not going to be a part of it. You shouldn't tell anybody. If you're going to do this, this is the ultimate prank. You cannot tell anyone. He says, I'll never bring it up to you again. Okay. This is around the time when he puts this in the script. Mm-hmm. Two years after that, he con- and you could contact, you could contact John Moffat from the TV show Fridays. 
was the producer. And he told me years later after Andy's supposed death, he came up to me and said, I got to tell you something. I don't know if you know this, that he came to see me. Andy came to see me and he had a Bible. He says, John, can I talk to you? And he went into a room. He says, John, I'm going to tell you about the greatest prank of all time. But I want you to put your hand on this Bible and swear that you won't tell anyone. He says, what? Then he told me, he says, I'm going to fake my fucking death. It's going to be the biggest fucking thing ever. John Moffat from Moffat Lee Productions, you could call John up. John will tell you what a clean, he says, Andy Coffin faked his death. He told me he was going to do it. And six months after he told me he was dead. Here's a guy who never drank. Vegetarian, healthiest motherfucker in the world. The movie gets into this. I think it was just weird timing. I'm just giving you some of this other perspective of it. Okay. The 30th anniversary is coming up in a year and a half. Girls, we're doing a big fucking thing. Oh, yeah. A huge fucking thing. There's a huge art museum in New York that's planning on doing a huge retros retrospective of his work. Oh, wow. We have the film is going to come out there. And then Universal Studios is releasing Man on the Moon again. Jim Carrey's gone. It's a big fucking thing about a year and a half from now. Because that 2014 will mark the 30th anniversary of Kaufman's death. I'll tell you this. You don't, and we'll, we'll be all working together. You do not want to miss May 16th, 2014. Go see me wherever we're going to, it's going to be a big deal. We're talking about a special TV special and everything else. This is like Al Capone's tomb. <laughs> it's going to be that fucking big. And this will Forget be it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's my patty talking. That's, uh, weren't they great in the show? They were great. Yeah, yeah. they were great show. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so some very exciting things. But go on. That's enough about that. So where, if if he's still alive, then where where is Andy Kaufman been hiding? I have no fucking clue. He never contacted me. I would imagine it's some third world country. He'd be under the fucking radar. He was very big into uh, meditation and Asian philosophy. So I would imagine be someplace. Probably. Probably someplace in Asia or not. Now, you got to realize the guy would look very fucking different now. Right. You know, probably be bald because he was losing his hair anyway. You probably wouldn't even recognize him. Might be a monk. He was very big in the TM movement, Transcendental Meditation. He about had it up to here with fucking Hollywood. He was very much into metaphysicals, mm -hmm. uh, life and spirituality. So I'm sure he went away. And, you know, if, if he and and listen, if he doesn't show up on the 30th anniversary, he might just go fake call it. Fuck it. I'm out. Yeah. I'm you know, out. like, what's so funny? It's what? like the 30, this is the 35th anniversary for Elvis, too. With this, today? Yeah, this is like Elvis's. Is it like, 35 years? Yeah. Well, Andy, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. Because Andy originally got the idea, because, you know, he did the uh, Elvis Presley. He was like the first one to he do it. He was the first one. First People one. Know, when Andy Coppola was doing the Elvis impression, this is years before anybody started the Elvis impression. Uh-huh. In 1969, 1971, nobody gave a shit about Elvis Presley. The Beatles, everything. They didn't care. It wasn't until years later, it became this nostalgic thing. Yeah. And every, and then it became a thing. Then you got all these Elvis impersonators. Coffin was the first impersonator of, of, of Elvis Presley. Now, now, let me tell you this. This is really fucking weird. And you know this story, mm -hmm. Annie. In 1969, Andy Kaufman who was unknown. He was this fucking 19-year-old, pimply-faced Jewish kid. 
he hitchhiked from Great Neck, New Jersey to see his role model, to talk to his role model, Elvis Presley. I said talk, because Elvis was appearing at the Hilton. The Colonel, the Colonel was, the manager had a bad debt. So Elvis went in 1969, appeared at the, Elvis, at the Hilton. This is when Elvis came back. Elvis appeared a few years before that, he died. But this was his big return, it was triumphant. Elvis first went, he didn't know how to put a Vegas show together. He talked to the guys like Wayne Newton, he talked to Engelbert Humperdinck, and they said, you gotta do Flash. And that's when he started with the outfits, like Liberace and stuff. Elvis didn't do any of that shit before that. He wanted Flash, that's what him with the capes and everything. This all happened. Bill Ballou was the guy, Andy and I hired him uh, for the uh, 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 a comedy salute that, no, for uh, Uncle Andy's Funhouse for oh, ABC. Yeah. We hired Bill Ballou, who's the guy, because we had a budget. He's the guy who actually worked, designed uh, the Elvis outfits. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was the guy. And we talked to him. And there was other people who did it. This is a side note. Let me go back to my story here. And Bill Ballou, we hired him. Gay is the day is long, this guy, you know. But he and I said, but I said to him, and we knew because Andy knew all the history. We said, How the hell? Because Elvis had many people design outfits for him, but Bill Ballou did it for eight, nine years. We said, How did you last so long? He said, Well, I learned the secret. He said, Elvis kept putting on the weight. And the costume guy would come and said, Elvis, I gotta remeasure you, you're getting a little fat, and Elvis would was in total denial. You know, with the drugs, he was in total fucking denial. So Bill said what he would do, he would come in after the show and take the outfit and expand it. Never say anything to Elvis. Oh, <laughs> and put it back. And he said, I worked for eight years. He said, Elvis, you're losing weight, you know? Yeah. And that's how he kept his job. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, shoot the messenger. Right, right. So yeah, true yeah, story. Yeah. So anyway, little Andy Kaufman at, at 19 years old, he goes and he goes and he hitchhikes to Vegas to see the king. He has no money even to buy a ticket to see. He doesn't want to see the show. He wants to talk to Elvis Presley himself. So what he does, this was at the Hilton Hotel. And the show was that night. And see, back there in Vegas, back then in Vegas, there was dinner on the show. They don't do this shit anymore. Yeah. If you look at the old show stuff, Sinatra, Rat Pack, you were, people are sitting there having dinner. So, so the, the, the theater, the venue was always built right next to the, uh, the kitchen so they could get the, the, the food out real quick. Right. And that's, that's why they don't do it anymore for some reason. Elvis would always come down from the penthouse where they kept an in the service elevator. And he always walked through the bowels of the kitchen to the stage. He didn't hang on, never used the, he's like, like Frank Sinatra, never used the dressing room backstage. They just came straight down, boom, and left real quick. Elvis has left the building, he always did that, mm -hmm. to get the, to beat the traffic and everything else. Frank did the same thing. It's an old trick. So anyway, Elvis is sitting there. So, so Andy Kaufman, who's out of his mind, totally unknown, this snot-nosed little Jew boy, he goes in to about three in the afternoon, sneaks in the service store where they're bringing trucks, food. And he says he put on, he grabbed, when the truck came in, and he grabbed a slab of meat or something. And he walked into the kitchen, put it down. Then he got into the fucking place. And he hid, 
he told me in a broom closet off of the fucking main way that he knows Elvis was going to go down. He brought with him a bag of cookies, because this is going to be seven or eight hours, and an empty gallon, plastic gallon for him to piss in. <laughs> True. And he, and he waited. He waited for hours. And then right before, about 15 minutes before the show, just like clockwork, Elvis came down uh, from the penthouse in the service elevator, walked down that corridor. He was with the West brothers, Sonny and Red West. You Red know, West. You know Red. These were his, they're called the Memphis Mafia. They were his bodyguards. They were schoolyard, uh, uh, they were high school chums of his. And they were with him. And they walked by this little closet that Andy was in, a broom closet, with his piss bottle. Uh-huh. And when they walked by, Kaufman stepped out. Kaufman said to me, it was like Sirhan, Sirhan. <laughs> and Elvis stopped. And right away, the West brothers, who are always care packing, they went for the guns, but Elvis went, whoa, 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 because he could see this is some snot-nosed little fucking Jewish kid. No threat. <laughs> but he stopped. And here is the greatest moment in showbiz history, I think. Andy, Elvis did not dismiss this kid. And even though the clock was done, that, that's, that's how great the king was. And Elvis looked, and, and, and Andy looked at Elvis, and he, was, he couldn't even put words together. He says, he says, Mr. Presley, I'm your biggest fan. And someday, I want, he actually said this, someday I want to be famous like you. Here is the moment. That would change. We wouldn't be here tonight. You wouldn't be talking to me if this did not happen because of Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley took his hand. He put it on. El, he put it on Andy Kaufman's shoulder. He looked him straight in the eye and he said, "I believe it will happen." And Andy said he felt a jolt. Then right then, Elvis just left. That was it. Now, this is weird. Andy, who had not performed before anything, had any idea what anything about an act, a year and a half after that incident, Andy Kaufman becomes the hottest cabaret act in New York City. And he says, it's the confidence that the key, it was a benediction. <laughs> he was blessed. Gave, 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 he, he was blessed. blessed. Couldn't fuck it up. True story. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. How did it gives me chills when I hear it? I love that story. How did you guys first meet, you and Andy? I was that same night. I was performing in downtown Vegas, uh-huh. the Fremont Street area. Kind of, kind of the, no, not as nice at all. <laughs> kind of the underbelly. And he came in. Now, I did not see him. But he tells people he came in and he saw me. And then about a year and a half, two, then when he finally had the chance to play Carnegie Hall, people were coming up to me in Las Vegas, uh, Bugsy Monroe. Bugsy Monroe was kind of a character, street character, sold watches. Bugsy would pull his sleeve up, had about eight, nine watches sold yet. Bugsy comes up to me one day, he says, hey, congratulations, Tony. I hear you're playing Carnegie Hall. What the fuck, you tie playing Carnegie Hall? And I thought Bugsy, because you know, you know, Bugsy used to drink like a motherfucker. 
And uh, then over the next couple of days, I'm getting calls. People saying, hey, congratulations. I'm like, what? The? They said, "Go get the New York Times. I get the New York Times, the Sunday edition. And there's an ad for Andy Kaufman at Carnegie Hall, opening act Tony Clifton. There's a picture of me. But I look closer and it ain't me. It's Andy Kaufman in makeup playing me. So he came in, he saw me. Okay. And he decided a couple of years later, no, he had this, that he's going to play this character, not contacting me. So then I got on the phone. I'm going, what this bullshit, man? They're using my name, my likeness. So I fucking contact, I get a lawyer, and I contact, uh, you know, his lawyer. Mm -hmm. I had a Jew calling a Jew lawyer. <laughs> and then Andy felt, he wasn't trying to rip me off. He was just like, you know, the, the okay. highest form of flattery is uh, impressions, whatever they, that thing they say. Are you leaving, baby? Yeah. Okay, I see you. I love you. Love Everything's you cool. Too. Thank you, baby. Jesse, that's Jesse, my background singer. Okay. Tonight, tonight, we're going to work on that. A yeah. new number. And so then uh, uh, he said, he felt bad. He said, I was just doing an impression of you. So to work things out, to mend fences, he hired me. So then I started performing. But by now, he had played this ruse on the American public that he was me. Mm -hmm. So now George Shapiro, his manager, who Danny DeVito plays in the movie Man on the Moon, would book a David Letterman or Dinah Shore or Miss Piggy, and they thought it was Andy Kaufman and me, but in fact it was, was really me. How did that make you feel? You guys got to go soon, whoa, okay? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, Andy, did you hear about, about this one? Tell me, are you locked in the punch? Andy, are you goofing on him? Hey, baby. <laughs> are we having fun? So we sing that every night. We sing a tribute to Andy Kaufman. Every night. Or else we wouldn't be here. Every night. Yep. I love it. Go on, my friend. Any other questions? Well, yeah. You, when you, um, let me grab the microphone. Mm -hmm. When you did the show uh, here a couple years ago, you had a, get out of my way. You're in a microphone. It's Andy who's trying to grab the mic. What, when Andy Kaufman was, it was dying and everyone thought he was joking. Yes. Did you at any point think he was joking? And did you Yes. Listen, let me go on record right now. The 30th anniversary has come up. If Andy, listen, I believe Andy Kaufman's dead. But, okay, if he walked in, if he showed up, I would be surprised. But I would not be shocked. Only because, like I told you, he had told people he was planning on faking his death. Was there an uncomfortable? Was there an uncomfortable moment where you were like, "Ah, oh, Andy, you're not really dying." Did you ever? Was there a face-to-face -face moment? Well, you never knew with him. And the the thing was, if he was playing a fucking number on somebody, you went along with it, okay? You never fucking really knew. I never saw the body. Okay? I never saw a body. A good friend of mine, you know, they had, listen, this got so crazy. Because, you know, usually for Jewish funerals, they don't have an open casket. Yeah. And this was, a, yeah, no, the Jews don't do that. Yeah, no, that's a Christian thing, right? You know this, right? You Jewish? Yeah, Jewish. Yeah, they, they don't do it. No. They did it in Kaufman's case at in Great Neck at the funeral home because there was so much controversy about it and they were sick of it. So that morning they had an open casket. Uh -huh. I did not go in. Lynn Margulies, my now Joe Triani, a good friend of mine, he went in. 
And Joe was in the room and he was poking the body. And to this day, he says, I think it was wax. I think it was wax. Uh-huh. Yeah, but then you wouldn't know. How do you know from a wax fix? When's the last time you poked a dead body? Because yeah, I that's my right. grandma, she looked felt like a wax museum. That same thing. So well, who the fuck body. knows? Why so who the fuck knows? Well, she had an open casket. Hey, why are we missing my name when we're not poking me? <laughs> you should poke me. You can't say that. Where I'll you poke you right now, baby. Okay, I'll poke you uh-huh. tonight. You can like me on Facebook. Okay. What else, my friend? Well, you had shown a movie that no one could see a couple years ago when you did the concert at uh, here at the comedy. The store. German thing? With the no, the other one, the uh, Jim Carrey movie. Oh yeah, you were at that. Yeah, the House of Blues. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The House of Blues. No wonder it looked different. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Uh, tell everybody what the movie is and why you can't show no, it. No, that well, that was a document documentary that we made with Jim Carrey's approval of the making of Man on the Moon, because Jim stayed in character. Uh, Jim approached the role like Andy Kaufman would approach the role. Uh, Jim Carrey played Andy Kaufman. Apparently, Jim Carrey did not go out of character. Apparently, Jim Carrey... Oh, I found a parking. Apparently, Jim Carrey... Um, I'm to look for a better parking. Jim Carrey walked around the studio a lot as Andy Kaufman dressed as Tony Clifton. And Clifton, as we know, is an a-hole jerk. So he was being a jerk to people. But because he's the biggest movie star in the world at the time and pretty much paid everyone's salary because their projects probably stunk, Everyone's tolerating him being a prick. And to me, that's the fact, that's what the movie is about. Not about how brilliant Jim Carrey is. It's like we all know, you know, like, we all know he's Jim Carrey thinking, pretending to be Andy Kaufman, pretending to be Tony Clifton. The gig is up. No one's fooled. I'm looking for a parking. Should have taken the other spot. All right. Live show, what? September 22nd, question mark. At the IOS in Hollywood, California. Chris Gordon's podcast, Pod Crash Live. And the 22nd, he'll be pod crashing. Probably Resents will do a live show. We talk about Heartbeats, the ill fated Andy Kaufman robot movie. Where when I asked Tony Clifton about it, he went crazy. So I'm trying to get either Clifton or Bob Zamuda to come on and talk about this crappy film. All right, and it'll be it'll be like a couple bucks, like five. I don't know. With the iOS, to be honest, if you just walk in, no one ever stops you. So go to the bar with two dollars slits, and then just kind of walk into the theater when my show starts. Uh, more information at prowlerresents.com slash I-O letter I, letter O What do you want to know? Could people see this documentary of Jim Carrey dressed up like Andy Kaufman walking around the studio? We hope someday this happens and hopefully people could send in letters or something to Jim or whatever for us to do this is this is one of the most incredible documentaries made of all time and it was only approved because they have the making a movie not like this Kerry stayed in character throughout the whole shoot he was either me or he was Andy he Milos Forman never talked to Jim Carrey until till two weeks after principal photography stopped he approached the role it's the weirdest fucking thing you'll ever see but Universal and Jim Carrey own it Jim Carrey's management, Jimmy Miller, Miller Gold at the time, 
saw it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Matter of fact, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh God, what's his? Oh, he, he played. Uh, he played uh, Archie Bunker's son. Meatball. Uh, Rob Reiner saw it, who's a major director, and saw it and said, you should release this instead of Man on the Moon. It's 10 times better. He said, this is the real deal. Jimmy Miller, Andy Kauf, I mean, Jim Carrey's manager said, Jim, if the industry sees this, they will think you are a mad hatter and you will never work again. Someday, when Jim feels secure, this thing will be released, and it's unfucking believable. I saw it. It's pretty amazing. And oh, you saw really, it tonight? I saw it. That's weird. Can you believe they've been sitting on it? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah so I know. we got to figure out how people can see it. Oh, that'd be we'll great. Sneak it in. Sneak we'll it. have a showing at my house. Great. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, yeah, okay. Oh, Thank you. Now, let me tell you this. This is as crazy as it gets. Uh, Universe wanted to keep me happy when they were making the movie Man on the Moon. They didn't want me bad mouthing, going. This is a bunch of commercial bullshit. Remember when they made that movie with the Doors? Yeah, Val Kilmer. With Val Kilmer, but the, the original members of the Doors said, "Fuck this is bullshit," which was stupid on their part. Just shut the fuck up. You know so what I mean? Cry your way out of the bank, huh? Cry your way out. Yeah, well, they could have, but they really pissed everybody off. But anyway, so Universal did not. Because listen, you're, you you cannot. Andy Kaufman is the anti-artist, you know? Mm -hmm. You can't do a commercial film about him already. People, the, 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 the true fans that can go, this bullshit, you know? A commercial movie of Andy Kaufman, give me a fucking break. This is a guy that was anti this town. Uh -huh. So they were already pissed. So they figured, well, get me in the corner. So they hired me, gave me a nice check. And they gave me a lot of strength. They said, they give me a lot of juice. They said, Tony, we want your feedback on who should play Andy Kaufman. And who should play you? Okay, because, you know, whoever plays Andy in the movie also plays me. Because that's how it works. So I wanted Nicolas Cage. Because I thought Cage was as great at the time. Mm. Now he's done all shit. I wouldn't hire him for nothing. But back then, Cage was the guy. <laughs> that was the guy. Uh, lost in Las Vegas, right? Uh, yeah. Leaving, leaving Las Vegas. Like he like leaving, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. See, yeah, see, yeah, Penny, you're right. Yeah. He did. I thought oh, so. Like Absolutely. And other people didn't see it. But now here's what happened. So I want fucking Cage. Well, get this. When Milos Forman, two-time Academy Award winner for Amadeus, one flew of the cuckoo's nest, he's going to direct this film. He decides that he announces that we're casting. Every major player in Hollywood wants to play Kaufman. Tom Hanks, Sean Penn, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman? Uh, Ed Norton, Kevin Spacey. You can't believe the names who wanted to play Kaufman. I wanted Nicholas and Jim Carrey. Now, I want Nicholas. And I'm now everybody for about a month. I'm like, fuck, man, my shit didn't stink, man. <laughs> Kevin Spacey, Tom Hanks, Sean Penn, everybody's calling. They got my home number. They're calling me around the clock. They want the fucking roll. I want Nicolas Cage. Now, what I'm going to tell you is an incredible fucking insight into Jim Carrey. I don't want Jim Carrey. But Jim, now Milo's forming the director. He's a director for Gun for Hire. He only makes a movie every eight years. So he doesn't want to say no to any of these big names. Because why? He's going to make a movie and fucking Nicolas Cage or somebody else say, hey, fuck you, Milos. I wanted to play fucking Andy Kaufman and you said no. 
And he wanted that Norton because he had just done the People versus Larry Flint. And that Norton was his buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, and I want Nicolas Cage. So Milos, to save his ass, says, he comes out with a statement. He says, whoever's going to play Andy has to make an audition tape knowing that a lot of the big names go, fuck you, I'm a big star. I'm not making no fucking audition tape. So he comes out with this. And it worked. A lot of them dropped off. My phone rings one day. It's Jim Carrey. And he says, I made the audition tape. And before I embarrass myself in front of Milos, will you come over to my house and see it? I said, of course. When? He says, now. He's Jim, who started here in this club. So I jump in my car, I go to Bel Air, right? Fucking gates open up, we go fucking inside. Jim meets me, he takes me. Not only does a home studio, he's got a home theater, a private building that's a goddamn movie theater. Oh. Yeah, about 200 seats on his fucking property. 200 seats? 200 seats. Must be nice to be a 1%er. Fuck. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck. He's got this, and he's got, guys, he's got on the walls of this fucking theater are his costumes behind plexiglass from uh, uh, the yes. Joker. Cable guy, you his cape, yes. right? It's, yeah, oh, it's Ace Ventura. It's all fucking there. Very intimidating. And I go in there. Jim's a great guy. He meets me, and he says, uh, he says, he says, let me. Uh, he says, I made the audition tape. Now he's got me in the theater on that screen. He says, I got ten minutes of phone calls. I'll get the tape. Meanwhile, on the movie screen, he's got he's running clips from Saturday Night Live, I Andy, and from Taxi, whatnot. And I'm sitting there, and he has a guy that he brought in that's doing the candy, <laughs> the popcorn. Oh, the guy's got a little hat on and everything just for me. So I'm, like, fucking filling up on this stuff, you know, because I figure I'm going to say no to him because I want Nicolas Cage. And I'm saying to myself on the way there driving, I said, whatever he shows you, don't say anything at bank on. Just go, oh, that's, don't say that's great. Say that's interesting or whatnot. So now I'm in there and I'm eating the candy and I'm eating, you know, I'm eating like three ice cream bars back to back and my teeth are hurting because you know that ice, that, that feeling. But I'm stuck because I'm going, this, no, I'm going, this motherfucker is never going to talk to me again. Live it up. And I'm watching this clips of Saturday Night Live on anything. And 10 minutes later, Jim comes back and he's got this, I'll never forget this, this little brown paper bag. And I don't know the guy that well. He says, well, now let me show you my audition tape. And he starts opening up the bag. <laughs> and he starts laughing like a loon. No, really, like mad, like crazy, like cable guy shit. <laughs> and I'm going, Why, how do you know that a fucking superstar can't be a fucking serial killer? So he's really maniacal laughing. And he tears this bag over. Annie, there's nothing in the fucking bag. And he says, so, what do you think of my audition tape? And he goes like this, and he points to the screen. But there was these clips from Saturday Night Live. You know who Judd Apatow is? Mm -hmm. He got Judd Apatow, who was his buddy. And they shot Jim as Andy doing from Saturday Night Live, and they cleverly, seamlessly edited in to the clip from Saturday Night Live. They got the curtain from Lorne Michaels and everything else. Wow. Yeah. That's what this guy went through. And I was 
killed. I was crying because he had captured my friend. I thought it was my friend. Uh-huh. And I said, Jim, you got the fucking role as far as I'm concerned. Well, this is how these guys work. He now, when as soon as I left the building, he has three guys on motorcycles, delivery guys, with the fucking tape. One taken to Danny DeVito, who was co-executive producer. One taken to Milos Foreman, who was staying at the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel. One taken to uh, Ron Meyer, who had the Universal Studios. And as soon as I said, you got my vote, he had these fuckers go off. By the time I got home in Burbank, my phone was lit up and Danny DeVito, Milos Foreman, and Ron Meyer, the head of Universal Studio, it's cutting me a new asshole and saying how they didn't get the tape yet. Jim had called them right away as soon as I left. Said He said, I'm, I got the role. And they said, how the, who the fuck you think you are to tell Jim Carrey this? I said, did you see the tape then? Fuck you. We didn't see it. Did you see? No. Well, 20 minutes after that, they all call back and go, holy shit. I said, that's what I said. I didn't even want him. I wanted fucking Nicolas Cage. They went, holy shit. I said, he fucking did this with Judd Apatow? He did all this fucking thing. Now, here's the punch. Meanwhile, Nicolas Cage and I are good buddies. And I tell him, I'm telling Nicolas Cage for weeks. He's got the role. Now, my girlfriend, I said, don't take the call from Cage. Just call her. (laughs) At the premiere, we see the movie. I find out now that Nicolas Cage is one of Jim Carrey's best friends. And at the premiere, I'm at the fucking bar drinking afterwards, tossing them back. Who saddles next to me? Nicholas Cage. And I go, holy shit, because I never called the guy. He went, but he was cool. He went, he, he disarmed me. He said, don't worry about it. He says, you know what? He says, I never could have done what Jim did. He's, and, and not that he was waiting for work anyway. You know, at the time, Cage could do anything. He says, I'm not going to, he says, couldn't have done this. And so I'm sitting there with him drinking, and here's the punch of all times. So I say, I said, Nick, why didn't you make the audition tape? And he starts, he almost fell on the ground, he starts laughing. He says, why didn't make the audition tape? I'll tell you why. Because my good friend Jim Carrey said, guys in our position should not have to make audition (laughs) tapes. Yes! There's your story, my friend. Oh. Great as fuck. That's how that guy rolls. That's how you become a goddamn star in this fucking town. There's no show without business. That's right. True fucking story. Business like show business like no business I know. That's my friend Annie there. I discovered down in I discovered her in no she's originally from uh, Memphis, but I discovered her. Did you see the show tonight? Yeah. yeah. Why well, tell the story? Did I tell them? I didn't tell yeah, them. Discovered both of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Discovered both of them in uh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She. Yeah. I got VIP though. She got VIP. So I brought her. I opened for the for the flaming lips. VIP is when you can walk backstage. With this thing around your neck, and you can like actually hang out with Jack White. And well, because you went covered. to a music festival, that's where you got the VIP. Yeah, because she was yeah. with me. I was yeah. with him. Like yeah. it was insane. We were on golf carts. We like 
we saw Wilco like right there in the flaming. He he opened for the Flaming Lips. And then she danced with the Flaming I did, Lips. I asked him the band. The band. They're like, Hey, do you want to come dance as a Dorothy on stage? And I was like, Fuck yeah! And we're walking there, and Daddy, I was like, Daddy, Daddy, they invited me, Daddy. me. They invited me to go. And he goes, No, don't you ever, don't, don't you ever do that. I'm like, this, this motherfucker don't know me. He does not know me. I was like, did he just say no? He did. He got on stage, introduced him, did a joke. I mean, they're all crowd crazy. And thirty-five thousand like, people. I fucking killed. like wow. stole. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. I saw a costume that this girl's putting on. I saw her walk she away. She I stole. It. I stole. Oh, put it on. She's on stage. I fucking put it on. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And like, I said, that this chick got balls. I gotta hire her. Yeah. Like I was. It was it's the true. most amazing day of my life. Yeah. I'm watching YouTube videos. I look so. Wasted. Were you wasted? No, I really. I no, was just no, no, high. No. Like, what, how yeah, you wife. how you dance in the crowd should stay in the crowd. Do not dance. But like I you're told in the you, crowd. I bring it to Hollywood, didn't I? And I did. You did. You got a plane ticket. I almost yeah. brought her here and put her on stage. <laughs> She's going. And then Penny here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was. Uh, I was sitting in a cafe. Yeah. I was sitting in a cafe, um, waiting for some people to return. During and the I just day, yeah. Hear, yeah, during the day. And I, I said, look at her. I said, this chick's hot. The most unique voice behind me. I just hear like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a glass of your best Chardonnay. And I'm a voyeur, so I was like, I have to see what the fuck this guy looks like. And I turn around and I see Tony with a beautiful young girl, and he's talking loudly to her, like, oh, wow, she's a knock guy. She looks like a dancer, and I can't ignore your voice. So I turn around and say hello. And, and I asked you, are you a dancer? And you said you were. I said, yes. I said, where do you live? She says, LA. I mm-hmm. said, are you serious? We're doing a show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then I said, the, ma- the magic thing, I said, uh, I said, uh, you like the fuck? You know what she says? She says, she says, I love the fuck. I said, I you're hired. Plus, and I can she, put both my legs behind my head, so. Yeah, what? <laughs> so then, I gave him a heart attack. So then anyway, <laughs> she, came, she came out here, and we had her as, mm-hmm. a, as just as a substitute. Understudy for a while. Understudy, and she'd come to every fucking show here and sit there. Make out with me during the cruise. Oh, man, yeah, make out. And she just learned on her own to do yeah. this because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford it. And then I said, you know what? This girl really mm-hmm. put in the time and effort. Oh, yeah. And now she's in the troupe. There you yeah, go. So that's it's like Thank Jim Carrey you. going the little time extra mm-hmm. for the goddamn role. You gotta pay your dues in Hollywood. That's I'm what you gotta do. To that's dirty. right. And you know, Jim Carrey started here at we're at the comedy store, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Jim Carrey started here, uh, right in the room here where you saw, and he worked here for eight years, two shows a night for free. Did you know that? For free. For free. For free. Okay, we gotta wrap this up yeah, kinda yeah. soon. All right. Go. Okay, open that door because it's so hot. Is that fan no, still there? No, it's like no one's okay. no, uh, We got to put our shit in there. Yeah, sure. So it's uh, every Friday here at the Comedy Store. Every Friday at the... And then TonyClifton.net is, uh, is is our website so people could find out what's going on. Okay. Is everybody gone? Because we got to make sure all I our props are away. I know. we got to put our props away. Come, that, come see back? us get naked and Tony be funny. Oh, man. Yeah, see it. Wait, mm-hmm. are you yeah. be funny and Tony get naked? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, He's got the most amazing titty tash we'll show you've ever seen. <laughs> he likes his on fire. <laughs> <laughs> we need to put fire in our show. Okay, but we got to go soon. Okay, yeah. you got enough? Great. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, my we friend. We love you, everybody. I should take that spot. All right, well, it's, the good thing about driving around at four in the morning is nobody took that spot. <laughs> uh, doesn't that suck? All right. Good night. Seriously. You want to know if I got this far? It's still here, my friends. Oh, my.
Adam, that, we're, we're out of time for this interview. Do this interview. Okay. Yeah, 